Hello again, and welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. It is our weekly visit to the Virtual Church Classroom podcast, presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, and hosted by me, Pastor Dan, and my daughter, Bethany. Each week, we're studying the Book of Revelation together right now in our virtual classroom, and our goal, as always, is knowing the heart and mind of our God with all of our hearts and minds. We are eager to spend this time with you each week, but we hope and desire deeply that you would not make this the only thing you do with church. That you would, We hope you would be a part of a uh, church-based uh, Bible study, a fellowship, or friendship of some kind. We hope you'd be a part of a regular Sunday worship or as some other worship time. So we just really don't want you to do this and this only, but it is meant to be a supplement to your spiritual journey with your family of faith. So that's our goal, and uh, we always begin our virtual church classroom time with an act of worship. Our psalm reading today is Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is a song of dedication at the temple, a psalm of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to you, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever.
God, we join with the psalmist right now in our prayer that you would extol, that we could extol you, that you could lift us up in the midst of our lives. When we're comfortable, we don't call on you enough. And when we are uncomfortable, we call on you constantly. And the truth is, Lord, that you are with us all the time, but for whatever reason, we sense it more at some times than others. And it makes us anxious, Lord. And it makes us wonder if we can count on you. And it feels wrong to even say that to you, Lord, but just the same, it isn't so much that we doubt your ability to do whatever it is that you choose to do. It's really a question of doubting whether or not we're asking for you to do the thing that you want to do. So knowing your power is fairly easy for us, Lord, but knowing your will, that's a different thing entirely. And so we ask you for help in our times of trouble. We ask you for time for, for encouragement in our times of, of fear and anxiety. And, you know, when it doesn't come, it creates self-doubt, Lord. And I hear the psalmist saying this, Lord, but then he doesn't seem to hesitate to say, Lord, you, you know, you got to take care of us because, you know, if we're gone, who's going to praise you? Well, Jesus said even the rocks and the hills themselves would praise, but Lord, we won't play games with you. We won't bargain with you. We just say plainly and simply, we love you. We want to honor you in all that we do, but sometimes we really need to know that you are with us and it helps so much when you do. And so please, Lord, help us know you're with us especially as we seek you in the word today. Amen. Bethany, we've reached chapter 15 of Revelation. This is episode 29 of the Revelation Bible Study, episode 29, recorded on uh, November 11th, 2018. That's Veterans Day, Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, depending on which one you go by. Uh, 100 years since the Armistice this year. And what's really amazing is is that this it's people have totally missed this or totally forgotten it by now but when this day was was created it was because at that point in history people couldn't imagine a war worse than the one they had just been through Mm -hmm. and they thought surely this is as close to armageddon as we could ever get and not actually have it. And so they really believed it would be the war to end all wars. And therefore, it was a big, momentous deal to have declared an end and then memorialized the day. And then within 20 years, 
They're headed for another one. It's headed, you know, it's happening again. And worse. And um, so, yeah, we uh, we just have no idea how much worse it's going to get, or do we? Well, we have this handy-dandy book that is like a roadmap. Yeah, and we're getting really close to the part in it where the... Uh, worst battle of all time is about to happen Mm -hmm. so we're getting really close well and it's hard to believe but we might actually have to start thinking about what we're going to do next soon we're getting kind of close seven chapters i mean they're longer chapters but by new years we might have to start thinking about what's next so listeners um that's a good time to just go ahead and tell you that it would be very helpful if you start thinking about things that you might like for us to do in the way of study mm-hmm. after this book. So, uh, you know, start thinking about that and let us know what uh, what kind of study material you'd like us to take on in the next uh, virtual classroom study. Mm-hmm. But for now, we're in Revelation 15, and uh, I guess it's time we... We uh, start reading. So you've got the Bible in your lap. You want to go ahead and start reading several verses. Stop where it seems logical or if I stop you. And let's see what happens. Okay. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Okay. You know, (laughs) I'm embarrassed, but... I've read through this a few times in preparation for this and 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 it's funny because I keep getting stuck on one image that that is completely irrelevant but uh probably could be considered irreverent which then people would say well that's how we know it's Pastor Dan that's leading the class you know because there's a moment of gross irreverence but it just drives me crazy that the people who are victorious get harps i know it's like all of the silly images of angels and clouds or people in clouds <laughs> like the philadelphia cream cheese commercials are uh-huh. like strumming there exactly and, and i always think about captain stormfield's visit to heaven which was a uh, which is one of mark twain's lesser known works mm. and captain stormfield you know ends up in the wrong heaven for a variety of reasons and he looks at the a, uh, keepers of that heaven and says, "Wait, where's my harp? Where's my halo? Don't don't you have a cloud for me to sit on somewhere?" And and it's just as funny because you know part of the reason he wasn't that interested in it in the first place was because it sounded kind of dull. So mm-hmm. so anyway, I I have this problem. I mean, I guess if God gives you a harp, that's different. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm gonna turned down a gift from God or a job from God, but yeesh. So anyway, he says, I saw another awe-inspiring sign. Mm -hmm. Well, 
It's kind of interesting because it seems like everything he's seen up to this point is pretty awe-inspiring. Yeah, you'd think he'd be like, oh, and then there are more angels. Yeah. All right. And he's, he sees that sea of glass again. Mm-hmm. And, and if that does kind of ring a bell with you, it's because it was there in the, what, the second chapter? Um, or actually the first chapter when he's he's taken up in into the throne, throne room of God and, and he sees that sea of glass and... And uh, I still haven't quite settled my mind on the significance of that. I'm more inclined to take it literally and just assume that what he saw is what he saw. Mm-hmm. And that could have... It, it really sounds to me like polished marble or something yeah. that's polished to like such a shine. Because if you ever see, have ever seen something like that that's just so mm-hmm. highly polished, it looks liquid and it looks super reflective. And as a person who is limited to glasses for eyesight, I have to tell you that there's nothing more annoying to me than when my glasses are dirty mm-hmm. and I can't see clearly. And so there is a sense that, that this glass is clean and shining and it gives the impression then that it's clean. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I'm not sure what that means, but it's important, I think. And it's, you know... It's in there for a reason, but but I've I've also just kind of settled my mind as you have on the fact that it's probably just the way things look to him when he was seeing them. And I kind of wonder if the reason it looks like it's mixed with fire because we've talked about how it's a different dimension, mm-hmm. but they seem to be able to see everything that's happening on Earth. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of wonder because I picture at this point after everything the Earth's gone through, you know, like when they show pictures of like some of these towns after riot rioting has gone on for weeks and weeks there's just like random things that have just been on fire and are staying on fire yeah so i kind of picture that the earth has a lot of that going on where things are just on fire yeah because there's nobody putting it out they're just on fire and i wonder if it looks like the sea is mixed with fire because the fires that are happening down on earth are reflecting Mm -hmm. on that floor that's a really neat idea that, that really is quite an image. I can see that. And then, of course, those who have won the victory over the beast, and, of course, the beast is this world leader mm-hmm. um, who is indwelt by Satan, and he's part of the satanic trinity, basically. Um, they've been victorious over the beast and its image, which is another part of the trinity. And... Uh, and the, the number. And they're and the number. They've they've not taken the the mark of the beast. Which sort of implies because if they're in the throne room, that sort of implies their martyrdom. I think. Yeah. Because if they're victorious, they're in the throne room. Well, you know, it seems like there's some sort of an express elevator that comes to the, <laughs> uh, comes to the throne room and ends its journey right there under the altar. You know, and as soon as you're martyred during the tribulation and the great tribulation, zip, up you go. Yeah. And I don't mean that in, in a condescending way, but it's just sort of an image that pops into my mind again. It's uh, irreverent. It's reassuring for the people who will be in that position. And they're standing in the presence of God with the harps of God. And, and I'm thinking, you know... Um, Maybe a better way to look at that harp thing, even though I've just had some fun with the imagery for a minute there, but um, they've been they've been given a special um, uh, an acknowledgement. You mm-hmm. know, they're 
they're actually part of the the uh, worship. You know, they're uh, if if I were in a worship environment and I saw somebody with a musical instrument, I would assume they were part of leading worship. So well, and they're joining the twenty elders. Yeah, or the twenty. Is it twenty? Why did I just? It's twenty, right? Twenty four. Twenty four. The twenty four elders. Yeah. The four, yeah. I don't know why I said 20. Anyway, because there's four living creatures. I was just adding them to uh-huh. They're joining the 24 elders and the four living creatures, which is a pretty exclusive club, I think. Yeah. Because they're the ones that have been worshiping the whole book. Every time you come back to the throne room, they're the ones that are singing and worshiping. So that's a pretty exclusive club. Yep. Yep. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God. The Almighty, just and true, are your ways, King of Nations. Now, I think that's a very telling verse right there. Because they're singing the song of Moses Mm -hmm. and the song of the Lamb. And if I just think about what I already know and read that verse literally, what I'm hearing them say is that they're celebrating Moses who delivered them from captivity and under a false god who was Pharaoh. Because that's literally Pharaoh, as you and I have talked about before, the Pharaoh that they were running from could very well have been some sort of demon-indwelt individual. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of evidence to support that idea. The serpents, all of that. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, so... What song are they singing? They're singing the song of the guy who delivered the people from the uh, under the thumb of a uh, self-appointed God, basically, who is is possibly even Satan possessed in 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 a way, and that's what they're singing about, which is exactly what they've just left. They've left the same situation. Only it really is the worst case scenario. Right. And um, then they're singing of the lamb. Well, in the case of Moses, the lamb was the one whose blood on the doorpost spared them from God's wrath. Mm-hmm. And they're being celebrated right now because they're not going to experience God's wrath because they did not take the mark. And so the lamb they're celebrating is the same sort of image of the of the passing of God's wrath. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and then, you know, it ends with saying, God is almighty king of the nations, which again is a statement that God is supreme over these world leaders, and mine whether says, it's Pharaoh or it's the beast. Mine says king of the ages. Yeah, which is, you know, more real mm-hmm. or more correct. In, in, well, in, either way, it in sounds the way we pretty. Know, yeah. Let's see, where did you leave off? I left off at verse five right after the song. So you read after this, I looked? No. No, you haven't read that. I left off. Well, all right, go ahead and read that then. After this, I looked, and in heaven, the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the testimony was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore gold sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. Who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Okay. Well, so um, the heavenly temple 
I think it's really important to point out right now that God has them build temples on the earth at different different occasions. We anticipate there's going to be another temple, mm-hmm. and the tabernacle was the same kind of thing. But but what this tells us is is that there is a real temple, that that the one on earth is an imitation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it may not seem clear, but if you think about it, that's being overtly implied here. That there is a place that is the actual temple. Mm-hmm. And what we build on earth, whether it's a tabernacle that travels around like the Exodus or whether it's the temple in Jerusalem, it's always an imitation. And we've seen the defeat of the Jews and the temple that was built on earth, but that's the imitation. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the actual temple is experiencing. And so... All this time we've been calling it God's throne room or command central, and none of that would be incorrect. But really, the Bible tells us in Revelation that it's actually the temple that he's been taken to, you know. Um, And so the temple is where he has, has gone. And there's the tabernacle of testimony that was opened. Now, a tabernacle... I've just used these words interchangeably. Um, a tabernacle in the Old Testament sense was a tent of meeting, a place that was meant, not tent, the tent of meeting was a little different story. But anyway, the, the tent that they kept the, the holy stuff in, they kept the Ark of the Covenant and all that in there. And um, when they built the permanent temple in Jerusalem, there was still a curtain and there was still what they would call a tabernacle within the temple. Mm-hmm. And if you go to a Catholic church uh, today, they will refer to the little box that is up on the altar. Mm-hmm. Well, not on the altar, I'm sorry, but behind the altar. Yeah. They will show you this box and the, you'll see that everybody genuflects in front of it and it's created, it's treated with great reverence. It has locks on it. They're usually very sophisticated looking to boxes with double doors and all this. And, but that's because once they've consecrated the host, then they believe that it has literally become the flesh of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And therefore, it has to be the presence of Jesus that's with them. And so it's kept in this tabernacle, mm-hmm. which is what they call that little box. And it is so literally a tabernacle is a box to keep God's presence in. Mm-hmm. And so when it says here that... It's cute that we think we can contain that. Well, yeah, you know. I mean, in effect, they're not wrong, but if we think of it in terms like you just said, we are. <laughs> because because God said, look, you build this and I'll come and, and dwell I'll in come it, hang you know? out because you built this yeah, for me. Yeah, but, but literally the... the <laughs> it's not uh, to like lock him up. <laughs> yeah, you know. And, um, and I, you know, I wonder if some people have these crazy ideas, but, but in any case, the, the Holy of Holies, uh, is called the mercy seat on the actual Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. And the best image I've ever seen of the mercy seat shows the angel's wings actually at the back of one side of the box lid, meaning that it is literally like a throne, you know, that you could sit on. Mm -hmm. And so basically God says, you build me a place to sit according to my specifications and I'll come and sit with you. Mm -hmm. But doesn't mean he doesn't leave whenever he feels like it. You know, it's God. Or, you know, exists in multiple places at multiple times because 
He's he, God. He literally is pan-dimensional. <laughs> but, but it's just interesting because this verse 5 says, I looked in, in the heavenly temple and the tabernacle of testimony mm-hmm. was open. So there's some kind of containment. Mm-hmm. And what's the testimony? And the only thing I can figure is that, that since it's always been a place that that word represents the presence of God, then it's the testimony is like the word of God. And of course, the word of God is Jesus. And so, and it's it's in caps like yeah. testimony is capitalized in the in, in my uh-huh. version that I'm looking at right now. So. So Jesus is literally the testimony. He's, he's, he's the, the logos. He's the word, you know, and, and, you know, somebody was telling me this morning in church that, that, uh, you know, it was really cool to realize that when God spoke creation into existence, that Jesus was the word he spoke. Yeah. Because when God speaks, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. And. And yep. so, in effect, when God said, let there be light, Jesus is the one who has made the light. He's, you know, so he's God's instrument, and yet he's God. Mm-hmm. And so he's literally the word of God. And when God speaks, it's Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And I thought, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, out of cool. the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, dressed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes wrapped around their chests. So they kind of look like they're dressed for a very special role. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the Christmas angel image that we all get. <laughs> yeah, the white linen. Gold sashes. Gold sashes, yeah. And, the heavenly uh, You know, I don't know what to make of that, though. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what the symbolism means, but. Well, it's interesting. Well, here's what I'll say. It's a cool juxtaposition because they're carrying plagues. Yeah. So they're very clean and they're clean, pure white linen, but they're carrying plagues, which are definitely not. So it's a cool yeah, literary you know, juxtaposition. And, and literarily speaking, you just gave me a picture in my mind. If you go to the CDC or someplace like that, what are they doing? They're wearing these white They've suits. They've got those white. You know. They're wearing these big, you know, these white suits and everything, and they're handling with care plagues. I mean, I don't know if angels are susceptible to this kind of stuff because they're different than humans, but maybe there's something special about what they're wearing. You never know. Something protective. But yeah, like it's it's a neat image because it says they're carrying disease, and they're very clean. Now, this idea of the temple is filled with smoke from the glory of God, from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. This is really interesting to me. And it kind of makes me think about something here. Because it it may even slightly answer uh, the question I posed a second ago. Where we talked about the tabernacle being open. If you think about the, there are numerous occasions when God's presence is described as clouds mm-hmm. and smoke. Like a column of fire. With yeah. Lots of smoke. You know, in the Exodus, yeah. when he meets with uh, Moses on the mountaintop, they talk about the mountain being surrounded by like, the cloud. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I said the tabernacle is the place that is meant to be a, the housing of God, so to speak, or a place where God can dwell. 
And then I say, well, maybe it's Jesus. But the more I think about it, what I think is really being described here is they've opened the door of the tabernacle and whoosh, God comes out and there's smoke everywhere. And, and then, you know, so, so it's like so far Jesus has served as the one who has executed the warrant, so to speak, mm-hmm. by opening those mm-hmm. seals on the, on the document. So Jesus has been the one that has unleashed all of these things ahead of today's reading. But it's God himself who is unloading the bowls of wrath. I mean, he's literally coming out of the tabernacle box. Boy, all of a sudden, this is really making sense in my mind. Building up for a long time, so to speak. (laughs) In my mind, I'm really seeing this very clearly. So this, this, we're in the temple, but now the tabernacle, which is symbolic or represents the place that God will come and dwell. So when God dwelt with the people in, in the Exodus, he came to the tabernacle. And no one could go in there and be in his presence. And in this particular case, the tabernacle doors are open and nobody can go in there. Except these seven, and, and what's really interesting is, is that the only one who could go into the presence of God was the high priest, and he had to be specially prepared, and he wore an ephod, and he wore the thuman, and so he had all this stuff on mm-hmm. so that he could go into the presence of God, and these angels are being described as being in a special uniform, in special uniform to be in the presence of God, and no one else can be in, this, in that space because it, it says right there that they, nobody else could be there. Until these seven plagues and these seven angels yeah. have done their job, meaning that that this is God who is executing this act of wrath, mm-hmm. and no other. And you know, I don't know. That says something pretty remarkable about our God. I I think it's really amazing because when it comes time to dole out punishment, God says, "I do this." You know, this this ultimate wrath is God's doing. Nobody else. Well, and like I said, he, it's been building up for a long time. He hasn't released any of that in the way that it's going to be released right here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's he loves us, obviously, like he sent Jesus. He loves us dearly. But he is wrathful because he sees everything that we've been doing and, and the destruction that we've caused. And so it's been building up for a long time, and that's... A, gonna be i would say a lot of smoke yeah yeah so well and, and I but think he's kept it contained like he's kept it the way the way we're describing it he's yeah. he's purposefully kept it contained which i think is also evidence of he sits on the mercy seat like he is merciful because he has kept that contained until this moment yeah he could have released his wrath on us anytime he wanted because we deserve it yeah, it's it's really God is uh, is really quite an amazing. Well, that's under stupid understatement. <laughs> well, I mean, it's God's grace is amazing. Yes, God's timing is perfect. God, now and and I think just here's some some observations that are going to make more sense when we. I, I was just looking at our time, and I don't think I want to try to get into chapter sixteen today. Okay. Because chapter sixteen is going to be a Lulu. It really is, cause, because these are the wraths. It's fun, though. It's the plagues you know. and stuff. It's, Not that plagues are fun. It, it's going to be. But what, what becomes really apparent in the uh, bold wraths is, is the people are completely unrepentant. That 
no matter what is done to them, they're not going to repent. Hmm. They don't give in. And it's interesting because we could almost predict that at this point, even after, uh, because we, even though we haven't read chapter 16 yet, chapter 15 tells us that basically God has called home the victorious. And now he's getting ready to pour out his wrath. So, so the church seems pretty clearly to have been removed already. But now he's removing the surviving converts. So everybody that's left is pretty much unrepentant. There's nobody left on earth that doesn't deserve what's about to happen to him. Well, and can I just say that after all that stuff, we're 16 chapters in at this point. Yeah. I don't know what to think of the people that are still unrepentant. That blows my mind. I think they must be the worst people that have ever walked the earth. The signs that they saw were remarkable. And they still didn't buy into it. And then they did buy into the one guy that was the lie. Yeah. That's just crazy. Yeah. and, And I think, you know... I've been very fortunate in my life because I've met a lot of different people and I've been a lot of different places, but I don't think that I've ever met anybody that was this evil. But I've sure met a lot of people whose minds are completely unchangeable. I've known a lot Mm -hmm. of people who will not relent. Yeah. And, And somehow they think that they are achieving something of great significance to them because they will not have their mind changed. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, it doesn't really matter whether you're given over to evil or you're just so proud you're stupid. <laughs> Either way, you lose. Well, I think pride is being given over to evil. Well, that's true because it's basically the essence of it, isn't it? I think so. But but I just, I find it interesting that, that uh, this wrath that's about to come down is like the worst imaginable thing that could ever happen ever in human history mm-hmm. and they will respond not only by being unrepentant but to, but they're going to respond by declaring war on god that, that they're actually going to have it in their head that their god that they worship which is satan mm-hmm. essentially is more powerful and so it's satan basically taken up the sides just like he did when this whole thing started when he descended from heaven and now he's got some people with him too and well if there's only one good thing you can say about these people is they're survivors (laughs) because when you look at everything that's happened on earth it's pretty remarkable and uh even if they're dumb they haven't learned anything but Mm. it's kind of amazing um anything else you want to say about chapter 15 I don't think so. Okay. Well, I did get some listener mail this week. Oh, good. From our friend Donna. Um, She said that she's catching up. She's been a little behind because of work and so forth. Mm -hmm. And she just listened to 27. And she says, I'm so tired of people jumping into the whole idea that it's Europe whenever you look at those horns (laughs) on that dragon. Agree. And, And I'm like, hey, right there with you, sister. And she said that one time she looked at a modern map of of the boundaries of the various empires uh, in Daniel's statue, and then she looked at what overlapped all of them, and it's the Middle East. But yeah, yeah, you know, it's we the kind hub. of we kind of have a lot of evidence that it is Ground Zero. 
Yeah, and that's one of those things that we, you know, I've even told you that uh, I, when I took you to, to uh, the Temple Mount or, mm-hmm. when, you know, when we were there together, and I took you to a place on the Temple Mount, and I said, this is a place the Muslims call the navel. The navel, the belly button. Yeah, and and it's very significant to the Muslims, uh, but on the Temple Mount, there is this place they call the navel, and I said, I just want you to realize that, you know, it's okay if they call it that because that is kind of what this place is. It's like, well, you know, because where's your belly button? It's just kind of right in your middle. Well, and it's significant to the Muslims, but also if you've ever seen an orange peel map of the world, which you'll see in a lot of atlases, if you were to, like, take a magnifying glass and just zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in on the middle of an orange peel map, mm-hmm. that spot on the Temple Mount is the center of an orange peel map. Yeah. So, so it really is the navel of the world. It really so is. So when you stand there, you're in ground zero, yep. the middle of the world. It, it's, and I think that's, that's even what I've told you and, and your brother mm-hmm. both, is I want you to stand here and realize what a privilege it is for you to be here because you're standing at ground zero yep. for that's exactly what all the major events all of human, of human history. history. Yep. It's kind of remarkable. Then she came back a little later and said, I was also intrigued by the Assyria thing. Uh, ISIS tried to conquer that area for their caliphate. And I guess the time wasn't right yet. So Mm -hmm. she she was in agreement with us that this whole idea of the the Mm -hmm. beast being an Assyrian. And Assyria isn't a nation yet, but it's it's set by scripture's definition. It's set Mm -hmm. to reemerge. And it is with all the things that are going on, especially in Syria right now, uh, and given the fact that some of the landscape in Syria is what would have been the habitation of the original Assyria, mm-hmm. basically there's a suggestion there that it's going to end up being possible for Assyria to reemerge because, mm-hmm. man, they're just, you know... And I've been reading a lot about the Crusades lately, and man, I'm telling you, Syria is, well, you know, if if Jerusalem is ground zero, uh, you know, Syria has to be like ground 1.0 or something, you know, because it's, um, and what's really interesting is you, you have two major cities. There's a lot of cities, Aleppo, and mm-hmm. there's a variety of them. And, and you've heard a lot in the news about Aleppo. And Aleppo, it, it's very interesting because historically um, you have Damascus and you have, um, I just, my brain just went blank, the, the port city, um, Antioch. And, and, you know, Aleppo's kind of up uh, over there by mm-hmm. Antioch. But what's really interesting is, is that if you look at uh, the Crusaders that had really fought to keep those different lands because they were the key routes that the Europeans had to travel to get down to, um, to the Holy Land. And so they needed to secure especially um, uh, Antioch and Aleppo and they constantly struggled with the Muslims to hold those lands and eventually lost them. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting is, is that just to the east of that would be the land area that would be attributed to the Assyrians. Mm. 
mm-hmm. which kind of means that I, I just I'm seeing I'm seeing in my mind's eye this I can see how this would come together and it's kind of amazing really and uh, Donna's given us a good piece of advice you know some of this would make a lot more sense to you if you would just get out your world map and take a good look at it and Bethany mentioned this the orange peel version if you're not sure what that is the only way that you can accurately show the correct sizes of the land masses yeah. on a globe is if you take the globe and split it. This is a really hard thing to describe. It's very hard to describe without pictures. If you could take your globe of... and you could cut it down one side and spread it out on a tabletop, it wouldn't work unless you allowed these, these uh, like like sections of an orange it kind of looks like a zigzag almost but more rounded yeah um but any world atlas yeah worth its stuff and and there's probably proper names for these things orange peel maps but but we call them orange peel maps that's what i've and they're orange slices is what we're really describing not not the peel well but but it's if you cut the peel so yeah. that it was one continuous piece if you like what i always picture a basketball if you look at the lines on a basketball mm-hmm which now are just artificial because they used to make basketballs exactly this way. I will look up an orange film map and post it on the Facebook page. Okay. But if you can look at the lines on a basketball, you can see how to get the round shape. They Mm -hmm. made these, these, uh, kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It reminds me of a slug or, you know, those, those sort of, uh, pointy at both ends and fat in the middle kind of a shape. And so basically, in order to, to make something round, you have to cut a certain number of the same size of those pieces and then sew them together and you've made a ball. It's sort of wedge-like. Yeah. And so this wedge shape, then if you want to take that image that's round and flatten it out so you can see it in its actual scale. So how do you know, like if you look at a, at a world map that's got the United States right in the middle of it, then the only landmass represented on that map that is accurately depicted is the united states maybe a little bit of europe but basically anything above or below that is distorted Mm -hmm. and so the only way you can avoid that distortion is to go ahead and use these orange peels and and uh and that's why we keep referencing that because to to really get an accurate picture of what the earth looks like you've got to look at that type of map uh, so here's a little cartography 101 for all of our listeners. But but it, it pays to see the world in perspective and to look at these places mm-hmm. if you're trying to understand these things. And as you guys remember from when you were little, I, when you were growing up, I always had a U.S. map and a world map on the wall. And we would talk about what was going on where and where all these things were. And because we'd mark places where you know, we knew people. And yeah, and we just because we just wanted to, to be oriented. To understand your place in the world, you need maps. Yep. And, uh, boy, there's probably a message in that. <laughs> well, and I would also like to say with the whole... I was thinking about it when we were talking about Damascus and Aleppo and Antioch and stuff last time. Part of me my heart gets a little bit broken because I love history so much. So the idea that Damascus is going to get wiped out makes me like, it brings a tear to my eye because Damascus is like, I have to remember that God has a bigger plan, Yeah. but Damascus is like such a pivotal part of human history. Mm-hmm. And th- like, there's so much wonderful history in Damascus. And it's one of those places in the world that unfortunately right now isn't as beautiful as it once was, but it's 
like one of the most magical, beautiful places in terms of human history. And mm-hmm. it really breaks my heart that it's just going to get wiped out. And I, I have to remind myself that, that it's, it's because there's something bigger coming. And, but, well, I guess it's kind of like, remember, it's like those times you remember that everything that God created by the word um, was made from nothing. And therefore, <laughs> whatever has been destroyed isn't really gone because mm-hmm. everything that, that appears to be destroyed is in effect here. It's just changed in its form. Well, I mean, that's science 101. Too. Right. And you can't destroy you know, or create we, matter. There's only right. one person who can do that. So he's not a person with a word from the mouth of God, all of that can be reconstructed. And that's true. I guess if I'm, if I'm counting on dinosaurs, I can count on Damascus too. (laughs) And especially all that good food you can get in Damascus, huh? Well, that's part of it. Yeah. Stuff wrapped in grape leaves Mm, and all that jazz. Figs, (laughs) hummus. Mm. Well, okay. It's probably a good time to knock off then. (laughs) Uh, Folks, we continue to hope that this is a blessing to you, and we do really enjoy your comments, so visit the Facebook page, Mm -hmm. talk to us. If you see us in person and ask us about something in person, please write it down as well, (laughs) Um, especially if you talk to me on a Sunday morning. If you're not one of those folks that gets to see us each week in in the, the church, then by all means, write us an email, drop us a line on the Facebook group. Um, it's easy to find us and it really is enjoyable for us to hear from you and, and to consider your thoughts. Um, so with that in mind, or just keep that invitation wide open. If you want to know anything else, uh, anything more about Shiloh United Methodist Church, where I pastor, where Bethany is an active member, um, just look up shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And uh, you'll find a lot there about Shiloh, and you can find us on Facebook as well. Mm. And uh, we're eager to hear from you. But for now, we just want to say God bless you and goodbye. <laughs>